G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A question that seems to simmer just below the surface that deserves our attention, is Australia a secular country? Well, this is the cry of those who oppose any form of Christian morality as they demand what is oftentimes termed a separation of church and state in an effort to somehow or other silence the Christian voice. Well, a number of authors have been grappling with this issue in their latest books on Australian history. So some thoughts today on how we got to be the way that we are. And a wonderful opportunity to welcome back to 2020 Dr. Peter Barnes, who's a lecturer in church history at Christ College in Sydney. He's also the full-time pastor at Reevesby Presbyterian Church and also editor of Australia's reformed evangelical periodical called AP. That stands for Australian Presbyterian. Peter Barnes, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Dale. Good to be back. Peter, this is actually a big uh, topic, and uh, we've got a limited time, so we've got uh, the next 30 minutes or so to talk, because you've got some other plans uh, that uh, I've uh, I've re- wrestled you away from today, and I hope I'm not upsetting your... That's your, right. That's fine. But look, when we talk about what shapes Australia, this idea of are we a secular country, are we a Christian country, of course, uh, there's a mixture of influences that have created Australia, and you've been talking about some of those of recent times. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, well, everybody's got a worldview, so it's not just Christians with a worldview. The secularists have a worldview. So it's uh, it's not that they're not biased and, and Christians are biased. It's, it's everybody is uh, out there, put something on the table. Uh, so they ought to be seen together, in that sense, in the same category. So when you look through the history and you reflect on what has made us what we are, I know you uh, were writing just recently about Australia being portrayed as decidedly secular because somehow or other, uh, when we look back and we see there were conv- convicts who were arriving on Australian shores uh, rather than the idea of pilgrims looking for a new world. There's different ways you can look at uh, the history, and I guess this is one of the issues, isn't it, as to why people stand on different sides of an equation when they're thinking about what we are. Uh, yes, but uh, it's always been mixed, and every society in this world will be mixed. So I don't think what we were determines what we are in that ironclad sense. Uh, but, yes, we... Were we founded as a Christian society? Well, yes and no. It's, it's, it's not something you can simply give a, a, an answer and a soundbite to. Um, uh, so, yes, they were convicts. What was the general worldview? Well, it, it, Christianity uh, with Enlightenment influences, yeah. Uh, so when we say yes and no, Peter, does that mean that everybody has a valid position on this uh, because those who are arguing that we are secular and that Christians ought to be quiet, do they have a place? Way off. Uh, <laughs> the secular, the, for example, the slogan uh, free, compulsory and secular, uh, 
to do with education, say, in New South Wales, in passing the Education Act 1881, secular there meant non-sectarian. It didn't mean no references to Christianity at all. Quite, in fact, it was quite the reverse. There was uh, yeah, debates about how much uh, Christian influence would be in the curriculum and so on. Uh, but in 1881, what we call SRE now, Special Religious Education, was given an hour a day, not, not a week, a day. Nobody could ever take it up. It was too much. But that was an indication it was not intended uh, to be secular, but non-sectarian. So when we reflect back to the 19th century, because up until that point, all schools had been Christian schools, and you had uh, you had Protestant Christian schools, and you had Catholic Christian schools, and I know there was controversies there uh, around the funding of those, and that's what really created this idea of secular education. But it wasn't about silencing the Christians, it was about managing the differences. Is that the way you think of it? I think so, and I'm not sure they got the right answer in 1881. I'm not defending that. I think, uh, well, as a Protestant, I think we ought to be grateful for the Catholics uh, for setting up their own schools. It stopped uh, what became, what what would have become a state monopoly. Um, and uh, the, the Protestant churches, by and large, trusted the state. Well, I think one should never do that. Uh, and there was no state aid in the fact that the Catholic school system could be set up with... Uh, teaching brothers and nuns, running it on a, on a shoestring. Uh, I, I think there's something very admirable in what they did. And it, it, it certainly was used to, to uh, prevent what would have been very damaging, a, a, a state monopoly of, of uh, a, an education system. So, yeah, I don't think we got everything right. I'm just certainly saying that secular in the 1880s in New South Wales and across the the states of Australia, for that matter, did not mean no Christian influence. It, it meant non-sectarian. Uh, I think it also gave too much power to the state, uh, and the handing over of Christian schools to the state, denominational schools to the state, uh, I think was a mistake on the part of, of uh, the churches. But uh, anyway, that's done, and we're, I, I think what we need now, for example, in the education system is, is competition. We need uh, public schools, we need Christian schools, we need what, whatever schools want to be, be set up as independent schools. And then you've got the developments that brought about the formation of the Australian Constitution. And for those who will reflect on our Constitution, humbly relying on the blessings of Almighty God, it gives a real impression, doesn't it, of the Christian influence on Australian and the way we've been formed. Yes, that was a preamble there, and then of course the debate about our prayers in the Parliament, and, and uh, so prayers opened each day in Parliament, and the Lord's Prayer was recited. And I know this can become perfunctory and, and perhaps uh, devoid of some meaning, but uh, it meant something to so many uh, that this was put in, and when they talked about humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God. Uh, those that put that in, they, they meant it. You know, they saw a society as, as needing a foundation. Uh, you, you can't build castles in the air. Um, and the foundation was the Christian revelation. Okay, now historians have been arguing about Australia and uh, its Christian foundation or its 
secularization uh, and this is an ongoing argument no doubt it'll continue uh, to uh, to to rage along in in one sense uh, but uh, you know for ordinary people who might not be academics and looking at these sorts of things uh, we do rely on historians a lot here don't we because we want to be able to see some patterns through our history because everything doesn't just change at the drop of a hat, uh, just because someone has a new idea. Uh, history is important here, Peter. Yes. Well, Orwell, George Orwell, 1984, yeah, he who controls the past controls the future. So we see the future in terms of the past. And so if we have a view of the past, uh, which is defective, but we think that that's true, uh, we want to be on what's called the right side of history. And that's the way many people view things these days. And, and there's, there's an ebb and flow to history. And, and uh, I think that approach is rather superficial and, and very damaging in the end. Now, arguably, Australia's best-known historian uh, was Manning Clark. And uh, you reflect on the fact that he had a number of ways uh, of looking at the way that Australia was shaped how do you reflect on uh, on those philosophies that he uh, relied on to talk about the shaping of Australia? Well, I think he was part novelist <laughs> as well as historian. He was a wonderful writer. Um, and it, he wrote as no other historian has written, I think. He, he was, writing was quite captivating. Uh, but for the, the, the six-volume work, for the first uh, two volumes, perhaps into the third volume too, uh, he has a view of Australia being shaped by... Uh, three-fourths, uh, Catholicism, Protestantism, and the Enlightenment. Now, I think even if he was writing that, it was going out of date. Uh, but that's what he saw as the major influences for the first century and a half of European uh, settlement in Australia. So uh, you, you say Protestantism, uh, which uh, for uh, you know, listeners, of course, uh, there's Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, usually the sort of two sides of Christianity that we like to talk yeah. about. Uh, that third ingredient in there, the Enlightenment, of course, this was the age of reason coming from uh, the 18th century. And so those things that shaped Australia uh, through the lead up uh, through 18th, 19th into the 20th century, uh, this idea of reason and the shaping of Australia, this was like the alternative to Christianity, wasn't it? Uh, this yeah, was yeah. Uh, this is what, you know, if you leave God out of the picture, you've got the Enlightenment idea. Yes. And some of them were, were pretty strong atheists, but a lot of them weren't. A lot of them were more uh, moderate than that. But I I think what we've seen in the last 50, 60 years, especially the more militant version of it, and, uh, and, a, and a portrayal of Christianity as being irrational, as being contrary to reason. Now, uh, the God of faith is a God of reason. Uh, this is the God who in Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Come, let us reason together. And we're to love God with our minds as well as our heart, souls and strength. So... Uh, this is a God who's, who's not opposed to reason at all, but if you define reality so that there's no supernatural being, well, then all your explanations have to be rationalistic. And so your conclusions are there in the presupposition. Where you've started from determines where you get. Uh, and so that's what we see now. Faith is defined as something irrational, as believing in something you know is not true. And you get that all through the commentators today, you know, Philip Adams and so on. Uh, Richard Dawkins, they'll all say that uh, any sign of faith is irrational. The person who is 
rational cannot be a believer in 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 God. Well, and this is an interesting uh, way that you've uh, relied on in some of your uh, recent uh, reflections, the idea of talking about baking a pie. Uh, now, so for uh, for all of us who are uh, just ordinary believers and not necessarily across all of the different academic sides of history, uh, you've got this wonderful illustration here, and perhaps it's a little Americanized. But uh, but how do you describe uh, when we talk about who we are as an Australian people? Uh, the idea of baking a pie. Uh, yes, I don't know whether. Yeah, um, I discovered that thing, that uh, that reference, and um, uh, it's, it's such a mixture, um, and. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never come across this sort of thing, uh, this, this sort of pie. Uh, but uh, it seemed to fit. Yeah, everything's a mixture. Um, yeah, but this, this is this is where we are. This is what we are. Um, and um, so, if we go back to those ingredients, point, those uh, ingredients. Uh, Peter, when you talk about Protestantism, uh, Roman Catholicism, yep. and this Enlightenment or an age of reason, uh, baked in a pie, a little bit like apple, cherry, and pumpkin, uh, which yep. is, you know, pumpkin pie is not really our Australian preference, but it's got a sort of an American feel about it, but, but called a chirpumple pie. Apple, yep. cherry, and pumpkin. One. <laughs> Have you tasted one? No, no, never. <laughs> and I'm not sure I would want to, but. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, if you like all of those ingredients, the whole uh, end product of the pie is going to taste pretty good. But if you had some ingredients in there that were pretty awful ingredients, uh, then it might alter the flavour of the pie and you might not enjoy it. That's an interesting way to talk about Australian society, isn't it? Because there might be some things we don't like, but there might be an awful lot of things we do. Yes, I think by and large, uh, uh, in the last 50, 60 years, the, the Christian impact on Australian society, the Christian contribution to Australian society has been written out. And there's been a portrayal of Christians, of, of Australians, sorry, as uh, irreligious larrikins, not much time for religion. Um, in fact, even in the uh, Great Richardson, in the, today's Australian, saying something similar, Australians really don't have a lot of time for religion. They, if they relate to to Scott Morrison, for example, it's because he's a good bloke, not because he's a professing Christian. There's that sort of approach, which is very strong today. Uh, and, and it's a distortion of history. Uh, well, interesting. Else, there's also a distortion of present reality. Well, there are some really fabulous Christian histories that have come out this year. And uh, when I uh, think of uh, a couple of those... Uh, one of those, of course, uh, by Stuart Piggin, uh, Professor Stuart Piggin, an Australian historian. Uh, he's been writing about uh, this fountain uh, in Australia, a, a, fountain, a fountain of prosperity uh, even. And, uh, and so when you talk about you know, the way that history gets distorted, the fact that you've got uh, new history books that are coming out and reflecting on Australian history and bringing out these Christian traditions and uh, Christian foundations in a good light, this is a very positive thing that we ought to be paying attention to. Yeah, oh, certainly. Uh, I think yeah, Stuart's done a wonderful job there. Um, and when we go back, say, to the 19th century, 
Uh, for example, go back to the terrible thing. There was a terrible thing. There was the Mile Creek Massacre, for example. Um, massacre of about 28 Aborigines. And there was a trial of 12 men, and essentially they got off. And there was a second trial almost immediately. And after that, uh, seven men were hanged. Um, six of them were a European, white European, and the other was a Caribbean. Uh, and the judge pronounces the judgment on these seven men. And he does so in biblical terms. You, you shed man's blood, by man shall your blood be shed. You know, Genesis 9, verse 6. And, and you could not imagine anyone saying it today. It's another world. Uh, but it was a world driven by this moral outrage at, at this terrible crime and, and expressed in biblical terms. Uh, very, very important, uh, the statement that is made in that, because what it shows us is that uh, if law is to be applied, then somehow or other there's got to be some force behind that, and that law uh, comes yep. from the law of God. And that's what Christianity has brought to Australian society, this idea that God is above the law, and the law can be enforced because this is the law of God. Uh, that's, a, that's an important element, isn't it, when we talk about an Australian society, because there's something transcendent about that. Oh, it's crucial, I think. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it's the law of the 51% or whatever, <laughs> and, and it'll be changing, and it'll be whoever's in power, and uh, the result will not be pretty. It is not pretty. It becomes arbitrary. Uh, I've, got a car, I've seen a cartoon... Uh, where Moses is at the foot of Mount Sinai and hears a voice, you know, what will it be, Ten Commandments or a Thousand Lawyers? <laughs> and it's something like that. If Ten Commandments were clear. You knew when you'd obeyed them. You knew when you disobeyed them. Uh, they're not, not all meant for civil law. For example, the Tenth Commandment on coveting. I, I don't see how you can pass laws against that. But, uh, that deals with the human heart. So laws deal with uh, a physical expression of the corruption of the human heart actually deal with the corruption of the human heart. Uh, nevertheless, there's these commandments that are clear. Nowadays, law is unclear, uh, particularly vague anti-discrimination laws. You, you don't know whether you've broken them or not. It's arbitrary as to who's picked up and who's not. Uh, and uh, it, it's a, it will lead to a breakdown in morale, and has, and a breakdown for regard for the justice system. Well, powerful insights there. And uh, look, I want to invite listeners, uh, we'll open the talkback lines just for a short while uh, because we've only got Peter for the next 15 minutes. Uh, but one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. if you want to make a quick contribution to our conversation. Uh, great to be able to reflect on history. And we mentioned Stuart Piggin, his book, uh, The Fountain of Public Prosperity. Uh, another book that was also released this year, Meredith Lake, another wonderful Australian historian, on the cultural history of the Bible. Not sure you've come across that one, Peter, yes, but yes. Uh, uh, but an outstanding uh, reflection of how the Bible has played a role in shaping the attitudes of people throughout our history. And as you say, uh, when these things get swept aside under the carpet, people believe there's no real relevance and importance to that. But all of a sudden, these things are coming to light. This is a significant year, 2018. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and volume two of uh, Stuart's book is coming out next year, God willing, uh, and that'll tell the whole story uh, you know, to a greater degree. And people will argue about points of it and, and, and so, some of the issues that he takes up. 
but it will bring to the fore, uh, what Meredith Lake also does, the role of the Christian faith, uh, of, of the Bible as the Word of God in Australian society. It doesn't mean that everything that Australians ever did in the first 150 years was wonderful. It doesn't mean anything like that at all. But it does mean he was something that sustained a great many people and influenced what they did. If you want to uh, get Christians out of the public arena, well, in England, that would mean getting rid of William Woolforth, who led the battle against uh, the slave trade. Uh, the battle against the slave trade, it was largely won by uh, evangelicals. There are others involved in that, but largely it was the uh, Anglican evangelicals uh, with some Quakers um, who were back then uh, evangelical Quakers uh, around the sort of trendy types around. Uh, and, and they were the ones who, who, who brought this in as a love of God and a love of neighbour. And that's how they saw it. I'm often uh, amused uh, when people uh, talk about those things that happened with the slave trade, and of course they relate that to the UK history. Uh, but even when we talk about uh, uh, Professor Stuart Piggin and his book, The Fountain of Public Prosperity, and I'm always and I asked him when I had him on this program, I said uh, your dates. Uh, 1740 to yeah. 1914. And I said, yeah. uh, but hang on a second, the first fleet didn't arrive until uh, later on. So uh, yeah. so 1788, we're talking. So, uh, But he starts his history of Australia uh, 40 or 50 years before uh, the first yeah. fleet arrived because the influences that were happening uh, in, the, uh, in Great Britain at the time, those were the things that shaped uh, those early colonial... Uh, understandings, and uh, that's a very significant thing. Yes, it is, yeah. Um, Australia could not be settled, a uh, uh, European settlement could not condone slavery, and part, part of that is Wilberforce's influence. Okay. Um, he got that passed. So there were, there were all sorts of influences like that. Uh, that Richard Johnson, the first chaplain, uh, evangelical Anglican uh, minister, and you know, try very hard out here, uh, and a good man. Dr. Peter Barnes is our guest. Admires admires him, so... Good. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Special guest, Dr. Peter Barnes, lecturer in church history at Christ College in Sydney. He's also full-time pastor at Reevesby Presbyterian Church in Sydney. He's also editor of Australia's reformed evangelical periodical called AP, which stands for Australian Presbyterian. We're talking about those things that shape us as a nation. Uh, a talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Peter, let's take a call or two. Ray is yep. waiting patiently from Forbes in New South Wales. Hello, Ray. Welcome along. Good morning. Ray, what are your thoughts? We need to be fairly quick. Yep, no, that's all right. Um, about six months ago, I found an interesting old book at a junk sale, and it's Bible Lessons, a junior course, and it's printed in 1921 um, for use in Queensland schools, but it was also used in New South Wales um, with Queensland permission. And can I just read one paragraph sure. from that book yes. in the preface? Um, by the State Education Acts Amendment Act of 1910, it was enacted that instruction should be given in primary schools during school hours in selected Bible lessons from a separate reading book to be provided for the purpose. And that's what this little book is. It's over 130 pages. 
um, yeah, and covers the whole of the Bible. I think you've got a little treasure from history there, Ray. <laughs> That's I wonderful. A and, uh, history one, Australian history, yeah. And thank you so much for raising that. Let's get a thought from Peter Barnes because that early material really sheds light on, on what was shaping the students that went through the schools that eventually went on to be leaders in our nation. Yes, it's an insight into how the schools, the public schools, saw themselves. They, they, they saw themselves more as public schools then. Now that now they're state schools governed by the state, but uh, this was much more Christian influenced, and uh, that they could see this as necessary is uh, a good thing. Now it's got its problems. You know, a, a teacher who was an unbeliever, what's he going to do to the Bible? Uh, good question. Uh, but nevertheless, so far as the, you know, these these sort of issues can be solved by uh, legalities. Um, it, it's it's uh, quite an insight into uh, the state of play in 1921. Yes. Thank you so much to Ray from Forbes in New South Wales. Yes, Let's take Ray. a call from Bev in Redlands in Queensland. Hello, Bev. Welcome along. Hello, Neil and, and Peter. Just interesting that last call because I was schooled here in Queensland and we really had the Christian ethic um, right throughout our school, that, well, one I attended anyway, and I think it was all the same in Queensland, and, and our reading books were always, and there's, there's in the prep books, there's my friend Jesus. Uh, so we were brought up with that, that understanding of the scripture, of how much Jesus loves us, and that really, I think, shaped the Queenslanders. Are we different from the other states? that last call, it makes me wonder. All right, well, uh, whether you've got a thought, uh, you're in Sydney, Peter Barnes. Uh, are Queenslanders different from your point of view? <laughs> uh, only in football. Uh, <laughs> I don't, no, I don't think so. The, the Victorians were more secular and always were from the 19th century. The, the secular, the Education Act in Victoria in 1872 was more secular than... Uh, the Education Act in New South Wales in 1881. So uh, New South Wales and Queensland were rather similar, and, and Victoria's different. So each state was different. So there's you know, degrees there. Uh, anyway, that's where you'd line them up. Uh, and wh- while I've got you on a roll, do you know anything much about South Australia or Tasmania or WA? Are, are they on the tip of your tongue at all, Peter? Yes. Uh, they, uh, not with the details, but... Uh, Victoria did stand out, and South Australia probably a bit close to Victoria too, in terms of uh, how much religious instruction could be given. It was very much voluntary in um, in Victoria from 1872, and it was it was seen as a secular act in in the old to, in the, in a stricter sense, not rather than non sectarian. Uh, there, there was um, yeah, it was harder for uh, the Christian. Christians uh, to get their message across in, in state schools in Victoria. Well, I want to thank Bev from Redlands in Queensland for calling through, and I will have to put a line under that because we won't be able to take any more calls. Uh, we've only got Peter these next few minutes, and I wanted to finish on our conversation on a way that we can sort of cap- encapsulate some of the thoughts. There is a sense, Peter, that if we're talking about what shapes us as Australia... Uh, and coming back to the pie illustration and the idea of uh, you know, the pie that was apple, cherry and pumpkin, the pumple pie, uh, we'd be appreciating the idea that Australia has many influences that has shaped it, uh, but 
this, uh, this Christianity that's shaped it is not a minor player, but probably you'd have to say is a major player in the shaping of Australia. How do you think of that? Uh, yes, uh, I think it was the way so many people thought even, uh, I mean, unwittingly, people who are perhaps not Christians, but uh, they only saw the world you know, through some sort of Christian lens. They might be somewhat distorted, but that's how they saw the family, that's how they saw marriage, that's how they saw you know, day-to-day work, um, that's how they interacted with uh, their neighbours, you know, uh, the Christian approach to these things resonated with them. That that was what they were used to, and they did not question and threaten that um, they, they saw it as bringing you know, blessings and good things to them. And and uh, and Peter, yeah, just uh, just uh, when we talk about what resonates with people and Christianity, opponents of Christianity say uh, there's somehow or other a repression or an oppression that comes from. Uh, Christianity, of course, uh, what resonates with people actually gives them liberty and freedom. That's the sort of thing that people have resonated with with Christianity. Oh, uh, we want to know what oppression is. Have a look at those who want to uh, get rid of the Christian influence. Uh, They'll tell you what oppression is. (laughs) They'll know all about it. Uh, I mean, people charge uh, Christianity with starting all these wars and so on, but the great tyrants of the 20th century were atheists. Mm-hmm. Stalin, Pol Pot, and so on. That's it. Well, Peter Barnes, time has run out. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. Dr. Peter Barnes, lecturer in church history at Christ College in Sydney, full time pastor at the Reevesby Presbyterian Church. He's also editor of Australia's Reformed Evangelical Periodical called AP, and there is a website, ap.org.au. Peter Barnes, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Every blessing. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.